Act One of The Wasters by Arthur Adams. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Wasters. Comedy in Three Acts. Act One Reception Hall at Aladalla, Potts Point, Sydney, Sunday morning. Act Two The Underskirt Department in the Shop of John Danger and Co., Sydney monday morning act three the same as act one monday evening persons in the comedy john dinger read by josh kibbe baby dinger read by lian yap guy dinger read by campbell shelp butler read by todd anthony cliborne read by aaron white lindsay thong read by thomas peter tossy quark read by devora allen j charteris mags shopwalker read by son of the exiles mrs goodsir read by ulrike denis mrs meggett read by betsy walker mrs cronk read by t j burns elizabeth hebblethwaite read by phone mrs Clibon, read by pauline latournerie stage directions read by sonia act one scene the reception hall of aladalla the residence of john danger potts point sydney australia is furnished as a living-room with comfortable chairs tables covered with spring flowers etc the entrance is from the vestibule through an archway draped by a portiere further up in the same wall is a door giving access to john danger's dressing-room there is another door opposite to the vestibule entrance in the fireplace in this warm australian spring weather there is no fire at the back are two tall french windows both of which are now open to let in the bright morning sunlight through these windows can be discerned a stone balustrade down which stone steps evidently lead to the waterfront over the balustrade can be seen the waters of sydney harbour garden island and the red roofs of north shore it is sunday morning the room is empty the voice of a man is heard from another room baby baby there is no answer john danger enters from his dressing-room he is a keen-eyed dry clean-shaven alert business man of fifty-one he is in his shirt-sleeves and carries his tie in his hand he has evidently been worried over his stud uh, confound the stud baby where the devil is my wife mrs stenger enters from the garden through the french window she is in mourning costume a charming and costly dress she is of the usual married woman's age thirty-nine a pretty woman with a figure carefully attended to at first appearance she suggests the frivolous useless type her face with its almost childish charm explains why the epithet of baby given her as a girl has stuck to her so long what's the matter john ah uh, the usual trouble studs only that come here dear i've had breakfast half an hour ago i've been down in the garden looking at the marquee stand still what helpless things you men are there now Thanks, baby. Don't know why somebody can't invent a stud that works itself. Give me your tie. Now. 
Not that way, baby. You women can't even tie a tie properly. Always do the thing the wrong way. I believe every woman is left-handed. Right about face, sir. Am I doing it, or you? Now! Um, looks a bit lopsided. But it'll do. Seeing that I've tied your tie and fixed your studs for... Oh, don't let us count up the years. It ought to do. Yes, the men must grumble, baby. He kisses her. Every man grumbles before his breakfast. I don't really know what I'd do without you, dear. Ha, huh, we women are of some use after all. Yes, for tying ties. <laughs> Thank you, Lord and Master. Now be a good little boy and run away and put on your coat. You can be trusted to do that by yourself, can't you? Breakfast will be ready in ten minutes. I thought I'd just run down and look at the marquee. Not before your breakfast. John goes up to French window and looks out. Sure it's big enough? It will hold every employee in the shop. This dance tomorrow ought to be a big success. It was a great idea, wasn't it? To celebrate the 20th anniversary of the establishment of John Danger and Company by a big ball to our employees. It'll be a great advertisement. It's really a kind of copper wedding of the shop, isn't it? A copper wedding? Yes. But that reminds me. How long have we been married, baby? Twenty-three years last October. Twenty-three? Then... No. We didn't celebrate our own copper wedding. Never crossed my mind, baby. But I remembered the anniversary last year, didn't I? The inevitable brooch. I counted them up. That's how I knew. Baby. Oh, I didn't mind, really. You're such a busy man, John. Besides, our marriage doesn't require an advertisement. And the shop does. By the way, John, do you know where I went yesterday? Shopping, of course. Bought another hat? No. I was motoring down Ridfern to see that poor sales girl who got into trouble, you remember? And the motor was passing through one of those dirty, mean little streets when it struck me as familiar. I stopped and got out and went into a little draper's shop. Oh, a dingy little draper's shop. And a dingy old woman came to the counter, and I bought a reel of cotton. Well, I can stand that. It's your hats that... Guess whose shop that was. Not before breakfast, baby. Ours. Ours? Not now, of course. It was ours once. It was the very shop we began from. Our first shop. So it's still there? Just the same. Just as hopeless and mean and cheap and dingy as when it was Danger and Clib and Drapers. <laughs> well, old girl, we've got past that, haven't we? Yes, thank God. But when I came away, I made Simpson take me right round the big block of Danger and Co. And when I looked up at our enormous store, with its acres of floor space, its miles of plate glass, its hundreds of sales girls, its long line of motors waiting in front... I just thought... That we got on, eh? I was humbly thankful. And that old dingy snuffling woman in the old shop. If it hadn't been for you, your ambition and energy and business ability, well, that was what I would have been by now. Oh, it was just luck. Luck? No, John, it was genius. Seriously, baby, looking back on it all, I see now that it was just chance that I went ahead. No, you were bound to succeed. Not if those first investments had gone wrong. Not if Clippern had been right. But Mr. Clibborn wasn't right. You were. Yes, as it turned out. But I took risks, and it happened that I won. 
Cleburne wouldn't come in with me in what he called my rash speculations, and really they were nothing but speculations, but Cliburn was always absurdly overcautious. A businessman must be a bit of a buccaneer, and yet it was touch and go that I didn't come to smash. But I pulled through, and since then everything has come my way. The farm of Danger simply built itself up with the expansion of Sydney. Begun where it was, on that corner site, it was bound to become the biggest drapery business in the state, while Cliburn, my old partner in that little hopeless shop in Redfern. But you gave him his chance to come in with you as partner in those speculations. Yes, I needed him. Then... I needed his ready cash to stiffen up my promises. But he was too cautious. It was at his own request that we dissolved partnership. But he's sorry, now. And I've got up and up and he's never done anything. I'm glad, though, that you didn't forget him. That was the least I could do for my first partner. And he's useful as my accountant. He's slow, but he's safe. I can depend on him. But lately I've begun to think that the business is getting too big for his little peddling ways. He won't have any of these new labor-saving devices, uh, card indexes, loose-leaf ledgers, and all that. He's too old-fashioned for modern business methods. I'll have to retire him on a pension. Retire Mr. Clibben? Yes, I know it won't be easy. He can't forget that once he was my partner in that little shop in Redfern. And do you know what he had the cheek to suggest, or rather to hint the other day? He wanted you to take him into partnership. How did you know that? Oh, I've always known. He wanted it from the first, as soon as he saw the business was going to succeed. He feels very bitter against you. Uh, failures always do. That's the reason why Mr. Clibben has never set foot in this house. I've asked him often enough, but I thought it was something to do with his wife. His wife? A sales girl? Oh, she's impossible. Socially impossible. I couldn't ever take her up. But that wouldn't prevent him from dropping over, say... On a Sunday morning like this, just to see you and me. I'd be glad enough to see him. I don't like anybody to hate you. And I can't forget that once he was your partner in those dear old days in Redfern. He used to come to our stuffy little house often enough then. And, really, I don't see why you couldn't take him in, even now, as your partner. A junior partner. You needn't let him have any real power. Baby, I'm always amused at your idea of business. You seem to think that money makes itself and that I could afford to let Cliburn in without risk. I'm sure Dangers just runs itself. It wouldn't run long if Cliburn got hold of it. My dear, this is business, and I never let sentiment interfere with business. Business? Men talk of business more reverently than they talk of God. And they always tell women that we poor things can't understand business. Well, can they? Can you run your own, baby? My own? You've got your own private banking account, and I'll bet you don't know how much it is overdrawn at this minute. Is it overdrawn? Don't you know? Why should I? I just write checks and don't bother. Well, of course I can afford it, dear. But I would rather you didn't overdraw any more this week. Got any big bills to pay? Lots. Bills are always with us. Well, let them wait for a week. I'm rather short myself just now. <sighs> Too many irons in the fire. John, did you ever know me in a hurry to pay bills? Baby, I wish you'd just take a little interest in my business. You've never even asked me what schemes I'm putting my money into. Silly boy. You're always dinning into my ears that women are mentally incapable of understanding business. I've often wondered why. I'll tell you.
It's because you men never try to interest us in business. A woman wants only to be interested in the things that interest her man. And there was a time, do you remember, before we were married, when you used to explain all your wonderful money-making schemes to me. And I thought that when we were married, I would become part of your business interests too. But you shut me out. You men are always shutting us women out. And so, when I saw you wouldn't discuss business with your wife, I just lost interest. Oh, and I've often thought since that if you trained me, I could be such a help to you. <sighs> Afraid it's too late now, baby. No, women can't understand. Why, look at your shop. There's your secretary, Miss Hebblethwaite. Isn't she your right hand? <laughs> Miss Hebblethwaite has got a man's brain. But she wears a woman's skirts. And how horribly they hang. John, if you'd only taken the trouble, I might have been in her place. I might have been your right hand, instead of that scarecrow who wears wool underneath. Baby, I'm quite content with you as you are. And you really do help me. And tomorrow you'll help me by looking your nicest. The success of the ball depends on you. A decorated figurehead. A nicely dressed doll. That's all the use you've ever made of me. Well, here's your chance. I don't like this ill feeling of Cliburn's. I want every person in the shop to be on good terms with me. I treat them all fairly enough. Now, couldn't we conciliate Cliburn a little? But you won't have him for a partner. No, that's business. But outside business we might flatter him a little. He feels that I think that you won't take up his wife. Why shouldn't you invite Mrs. Cliburn tomorrow? But she is invited, with the rest of the employees. Oh, not as the wife of an employee, as a personal friend, as a member of your house party, to help you receive your guests. As a guest? That woman! She's the wife of my accountant. She was a shop girl. My dear, did we start much higher up? Mrs. Cliburn, a common thing like her. But we're common too. Yes, but we are successful. We're rich. Society simply had to take us up, though it took long enough about it. But I've snubbed that woman. She can come as the wife of an employee, or not at all. But surely, if I ask you as a favour, baby? No, because this is business. Business? Women's business. Society is our business. The only business you let women run. Why, if I took that woman up and attempted to foist her upon my society friends, they might drop me. And I've struggled too long and too desperately to get in. To risk being dropped again. But, there, your breakfast is getting cold. Run away, you poor starving boy, and put on your coat. Lindsay said he'd be over this morning to help you with the arrangements. Then you won't invite Mrs. Cliburn. No, dear. You don't understand. Unless, of course, you take Mr. Cliburn into partnership. Then my friends would recognise that I had to. And, in time, they might even take her up. There's only one partner that I'll ever take, and that's our son. But you know Guy doesn't like the business. He will when I'm done with him. This idea of mine of sending him to learn the whole business by starting from the bottom will make him quite capable of taking over the reins when I drop them. It's that that made me my first-hand knowledge of every department. And the boy's getting on. Cliburn tells me that Guy has done very well in the accountant's office. In fact, he's got on so quickly that tomorrow I'm shifting him into the shop. Into the shop? But what for? To learn how things are sold. That's the whole art of drapery. 
selling women things they don't want but must have, and the things they wouldn't on any account buy we label bargains. So tomorrow morning our boy starts his brief career as a shopwalker. Guy a shopwalker? Oh, John, surely that's not necessary. He won't like it. <laughs> he doesn't like it. I told him yesterday. Our boy, a shopwalker. Oh, John, it isn't fair. He's got to go through three months of it before I send him to our buyer in London. It's disagreeable, I grant, but I was a shopwalker once. Shopwalker and salesman and delivery van. And the boy who sweeps off the shop. <laughs> I know, John. But now things are different. I won't dare to be seen in the shop. Fancy guy having to ask our society friends to step this way, madam. It's cruel to Guy, cruel to me. It's business, and he'll be in good hands. I've put him in charge of Mags. Oh, John, if he grows like Mags. He's the most beautiful shopwalker that ever walked a shop. But Guy is a shopwalker. It's business. Of course. But you're forgetting your breakfast. Run away. Here's Guy. I want to speak to him. You want to spoil him some more, I suppose. I often wonder why women are entrusted with the bringing up of children. We provide them, dear. With a gesture, recognizing the hopelessness of argument with baby, John retires to his dressing room. Guy Danga enters from the garden. He is a weak-looking but harmless boy of twenty, with a strong family likeness to his mother. He is well-dressed in a lounge suit and enters smoking a cigarette. Well, Guy, what do you think of the Marquis? I hate it, Mum. Hate the whole thing. But think of the advertisement for the shop. Hate the shop. But you're going to be a partner, and when John retires, you'll have sole control. A draper? A rag seller? I want to be a man. Have you heard of the latest, Mum? I've got to go into the shop. Shop walking. I told Father I'd see him dead first. But it's for your own good, Guy. You will? The father says so. I suppose I must. But he knows I'm unfitted for the whole job. Why can't he let me chuck the whole thing and go out west? He wants me to spend my life selling hats and corsets and things. And out back there are horses to ride and cattle to round up and... I'd love to go out back. Fancy a man having to sell women's stockings. But you must go through with it, dear. It's no work for a man, Mum. Mum, I want you to do something for me. Where's Father? Eating a cold breakfast, I'm afraid. What's the trouble, child? You've got to lend me two hundred pounds. What on earth do you want with two hundred pounds? I've, I've been betting. Betting? Oh, Guy. It was a sure thing, a dead cert, only the silly horse didn't start. Surely if the horse didn't start, you couldn't lose any money on it? Fat lot you know about racing. But Guy, since your father increased your allowance, you ought to have plenty of money, even for bidding. Oh, that, that wasn't enough. Surely twelve pounds a week? That went quick enough. And Mum, I'm in a bad hole. I must have that two hundred by tomorrow. Tomorrow? First thing. If you must, of course. I'll give you a check. Oh, no, I forgot. John says I'm badly overdrawn and asked me not to pay anything for a week. But, Mom, it's serious. I simply must have it by tomorrow morning. You'll have to tell your father. 
If it's so serious, he must see you through. No, I couldn't ask father. Why not? Oh, he wouldn't stand my betting and all that. I see, dear. Well, I'll get it from him, somehow. He won't know what it's for. I'll tell it is for the last dresses I got. Say that madame insists. I can't have you in trouble, child. But you must promise me you won't ever bet again. At least, only on horses that do star. Get me that two hundred quid and I'll never, never bet again. But father mustn't know. I'll worm it out of him somehow, dear. I can't have you worried. That's a good mum. He kisses her and goes out, whistling, watched anxiously by baby. I do wish John would let the boy go on the land. He's not safe here. The butler shows in a visitor. I'll inform Mr. Dangar, sir, if you'll kindly wait here, sir. Anthony Cliburn enters. He is an oldish man, dressed carelessly. His face is lined and made bitter by ill success. His manner is gruff and uncompromising. Baby is surprised to see him. Tony! Good morning, Mrs. Dangar. Mr. Cliburn, you... You said you'd never come here. I didn't come to call, Mrs. Dangar. This is a business matter. Business? On Sunday? It won't wait. About the shop? About Mr. Guy. Tony? Not that. That is done with. Dead. Oh, it's... it's nothing to do with that. We... we buried that. You needn't fear any resurrection, Mrs. Dangar. But you said... But of course it's about Guy's new position. He's to be a shopwalker tomorrow. A fancy Guy, a shopwalker. It is to settle what Mr. Guy is to be tomorrow. But I'm interested. Surely you could tell me, his mother? No. This is business. Private business with my employer. Always business. Oh, well. He'll be here in a minute. The butler returns. Mr. Dangar isn't in the house, sir. I think he's just gone out into the garden to look over the marquee, sir. I'll go to him, then. Excuse me, Mrs. Dangar. Cribon goes out. The butler, coming down to the door, is met by another visitor. Lindsay Thong comes in. He is a man of middle age, carefully preserved and scrupulously dressed, evidently a society man, and obviously, with his experienced air, attractive to women. Lindsay, Mr. Clibben's here. Clibben? Thought he never came here. But why? I tried to find out. He wouldn't tell. No, Lindsay, it isn't that. Nonsense. That? That's all done with. Paid for. Yes, it's been paid for. I've paid for it for over twenty years. Every day of twenty years. I'm foolish to think. But the shock of seeing him actually here. I can't get away from the fear that... Oh, it was some trifling business matter that couldn't wait till Monday. Lindsay, I'm frightened. I know it's impossible, but still... Now, baby, you mustn't be a little silly. That secret is safe. Safe with Cliburn and me. Why, we three are the only persons in the world who know that secret. And there isn't one of us who hasn't everything to lose by telling it. The past does not give up its dead. Life hurries on. Innumerable busy feet have trodden that little grave long ago level with the earth. What was it, after all? 
Clibborn was in love with you before you met John, and you naturally chose John. And then after your marriage... Oh, I was weak. Horribly weak. But I never told you how it happened. What made it happen? I never excused myself to you. You didn't even ask me. It wasn't my place to ask. No, you were always too true a friend. You never even blamed me, I believe, even in thought. Blame you? Blame you, baby? You were young. You wanted love. And John neglected you. Well, these things happen. But it needn't have happened. And yet... When I married John, I loved him. In a light way, a young girl takes a man's love as her right, who takes all, and gives merely her beauty, her youth. Oh, I didn't know then that love means giving, giving everything, giving always. But I have learned now, and the love that I have for John is a greater love, the real love. But after that first wonderful year, when John got absorbed and worried over those speculations of his, when he seemed to forget me, when I felt myself thrust out of his life, not wanted even to play with, and all my soul was aching to help him, even only to be asked to help him, I grew bitter. Oh, I don't blame him. His soul was in his business. He was more in love with his business than he ever was with me. It's that sort of soul, the business soul. Only I was young and passionate and spoilt, and in my loneliness I told myself that I was neglected, forgotten. And Tony was always there. He was John's partner then, you remember? Why, John used to send Tony with messages to say that he was detained in town on business night after night. He used even to scribble notes to me, telling me he couldn't get home to dinner. Dinners I had specially cooked for him asking me to make Tony stay to dine, to take his place, in case I felt lonely. Lonely! And then? The inevitable. No, it needn't have been. But that man worked on my weakness. He never said anything that I could pin him down to. But he left the devilish suggestion that it wasn't business that kept John in town so often, that there was another woman, other women. And I was jealous. I didn't understand. I had been brought up on sentimental novels that told me that love was the only thing in the world. It might be for us women, but for men? Oh, it's a big world, and women don't play much part in a man's world, except for his relaxation. And so, I was only too ready to believe. And how fatally easily I believed. But it came out all right in the end. Joel never suspected. You saw your mistake? In time? Yes, yes. I came to my senses. Too late. And it was you who pulled me through. If it hadn't been for you, Lindsay. <laughs> I didn't do much. I guessed how things were going because, well, naturally I took an interest in you, baby. I just dropped a hint. You saved me, Lindsay. You saved yourself. And it all ended. Those few months of madness passed, and John never had a suspicion. That has been my torture ever since. It's incredible that he's never guessed. I watch him and wonder. And wonder. You were wrong, Lindsay. Wrong in not letting me confess. He might have forgiven me. In time, when I had paid in suffering. And then he would have taken me back. Freely. 
forgiven and the torture would have been ended the debt for ever paid off but now now i am paying every hour i must go on paying paying baby you mustn't give way to these foolish fancies i tell you john hasn't a suspicion when a man's soul is given to business he takes his wife on trust and it isn't the you that you are now that went wrong twenty years ago it was another you a passing phase of you you've grown out of that phase it is no more to you now than a passing fit of anger that you is dead your boy yes my boy whenever i've goaded myself to tell it has been that baby that closed my mouth with his pretty little innocent talk his trusting eyes oh lindsay why does god give children such innocent eyes what good would it have done you couldn't have been so mad as to ruin john's life i couldn't ruin guy's life guy lindsay i can trust you i never told she masters her impulse it was because i was a mother well it's all right now but tony here now after all these years only business but i'm frightened well to set your absurd fears at rest i'll see clibben where is he waiting for john in the garden i'll have a word with clibben before he you would never be so mad and yet a bitter disappointed man baby goes swiftly to the french window before him tony's coming now with john steady baby it's all right it must be all right thong and baby go out through the side door john and clibborn come in from the garden all right eh that floor is perfect for dancing trust my wife for doing her share of it properly it was decent of you to drop over and see it clibborn it wasn't for that it's a matter of business i couldn't mention it in the presence of the workmen down there business on sunday too important to wait i'm sorry to say that i've discovered a serious discrepancy in my books a theft how much two hundred pounds oh i can stand that i pay more than that every year for my wife's hats any clue to the thief it's only too plain one of my employees his name guy dangar guy my son take care clibborn this is not the time to joke it is the truth i have ample proof the proof men quick i'll show you at the office tomorrow i couldn't bring the ledgers here guy impossible it was easily enough found out the boy didn't know enough to cover his tracks i can't understand how he imagined he wouldn't be found out unless he meant to put it back tomorrow i never thought of that yes he might have escaped detection then it just happened that i was looking over his work on saturday afternoon you know he's finished up in my office now to go into the shop i like the boy i thought you would like a personal report from me as to how he's shaped uh, if i had waited until next week he could have put that two hundred pounds back and i would never have known at least never have been sure enough to accuse him mr guy had access to all the books and the safe according to your instructions 
I don't think you can blame me, Mr. Dangar. But what could he want with two hundred pounds? Well, that's what I can't make out, though he's been spending a lot of money lately. I had a hint from Mags that he'd been to the races rather often. Betting, I suppose. But then he had plenty of money of his own. I spoke to him about his expenses a fortnight ago, but he set my doubts at rest. Otherwise I would have spoken to you. That big increase in your private allowance to him surely gives him enough to gamble on racehorses. Increase in his allowance? What do you mean? Didn't you increase his allowance? Haven't you been giving him an extra twelve pounds a week since he came into my office? No. Twelve pounds a week. <laughs> he distinctly told me you were. Oh. His mother must have done it from a private account. She's so fond of the boy. Denies him nothing. He definitely told me that the increase came from you. Ah, you must be mistaken. The whole thing's absurd. Steal. My boy? But my proofs. And this, this lie about his allowance explains it all. Baby, we'll soon settle about his increase. And the, the other matter will be as easily explained. Baby Denga enters. Baby, have you been giving Guy an extra allowance? To Clibon. How much did you say? Twelve pounds a week. What is it, John? Did you give Guy any money lately? An increase in the allowance I made him? Yes. I've been giving him twelve pounds a week. The boy needed it. For how long? Oh, two months or so. I can't remember. How much has he had altogether? I couldn't tell exactly. But your checkbook, that would tell. I, I didn't draw checks. Not specially for him. Just a lump sum. And I gave it to him in gold. He... He specially asked me for it in gold. John to Cleburne. You see? What is it, John, about Guy? Only a trifling business matter, baby. Mr. Cleburne has made a mistake. It was necessary to trouble you to clear it up. And it's all right now? Thanks to you, it is all right. But you can tell me, John. No, it's just business. Business? But surely his mother might help? You have helped. Now run away like a dear. My business with Mr. Cliburn will not take two minutes, and then we'll go and settle about the decorations. I'm so glad it is all right about the... the allowance. She goes out, slowly. <clears throat> so, Guy's extra pocket money is explained, and this preposterous charge of yours is another mare's nest. That money of Mrs. Dangar's was paid in gold. Why not? Women don't like checks. No. Check butts can always be looked up. You mean... You have the damned impotence to suggest that Mrs. Danger was not telling the truth? Women don't always tell the truth. And she is his mother. John suddenly threatens him with a lifted fist. Wait! Do you think truth matters a tuppence to a mother when she is shielding her child? I'll kill you for that, Cliburn. Take it back. Apologize, or... All right. She was speaking the truth. But still that doesn't explain away the fact that your son stole two hundred... Two hundred fiddlesticks! My boy isn't a thief. Yet he lied to me about your allowance to him, and it came, as we've just seen, from Mrs. Dangar. Yes, 
but there I only have your bare word. You'll have to prove it. I shall prove it. In a court of law. What? You wouldn't dare. It may be necessary to subpoena your wife. I consider it is my duty to bring this theft before the police. Nonsense. Even if it were so, mind you, I'm not admitting it, not for one instant. It is all in the firm. Nobody's concerned but mine. And, if the boy has been so foolish, I choose to overlook it. It shall go on no further. I shall deal with my son myself. But you're forgetting that I'm not in the firm. You are, unless you mean to leave. I'm in the firm as an employee. But once I was your partner. Oh, in that tuppany-happeny business. Well? If I were your partner now, I should see the advisability of overlooking this mistake for the sake of the firm. I see. Blackmail. You dare to bribe me. If you put it in that crude way, yes. Then I refuse to be bribed. You? His father? I am more than that. I am the firm. I must consider the firm. I must consider myself. You've got my terms. You refuse them. Then your son will have to prove his innocence before a jury. You'll lay in information? It would be my duty. You couldn't do it. You're merely an employee. I shall not be tomorrow. After all, Cliburn, you may be mistaken. I don't make mistakes about money. But if tomorrow you find that you're mistaken about my son... Yes? I shall increase your salary. I have had it in mind for some time. Quite a considerable increase. Or else retire you with a comfortable pension. So... You can bribe, too. But your bribe isn't big enough. My terms are a partnership, with full powers. Blackmail! Never. Then your son will be arrested. By God, Cliburn, you'll have to prove it in black and white before I... I may lie. The books can't. Then you can go to hell. Yes, to hell. But I'll take your son with me. Honestly, I hate to expose that boy. He's only a boy yet. I like him. You could make a fine chap of him, but not in the drapery business. But he has got in my way. I can't afford to consider anyone. Have your proofs ready at your office tomorrow morning. I'll examine this thing myself. Good day. Till tomorrow morning, then. Good morning, Mr. Dangar. Anthony Cliburn goes out. My boy! It's like a nightmare. No! But if... Oh, baby! It'll break her heart! Baby! Baby Danga comes in. Did you call me, John? Did I? I don't know. What is it about Guy? You must help him, John. Stand by him. He's in trouble. He spoke to me just now. He might be promised to get him some money tomorrow. He must have it by tomorrow morning. John, he's been a little foolish. He's only a boy yet. Bidding. He lost some money. He must pay it back tomorrow. How much? How much? Two hundred pounds. Two hundred? 
John, you'll help him out, our son? I must wait until tomorrow. You can tell me, his mother? You? No. This is a business matter. You shut us out. Always you men shut us women out. Curtain End of Act One